0: Hey, it's Lauren, here to tell you about our friends at DraftKings. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all of the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code TBPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Maybe you follow baseball too, but missed the deadline for season-long fantasy? Now's the perfect time to get in on all the daily fantasy baseball action, where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings app now and use code TBPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code TBPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman.
1: Hello and welcome to On the NBA Beat. We're thrilled to be back for the first time this calendar year, and are committed to making this a regular weekly thing once again, now that the playoffs are fast approaching. I'm Aaron Fishman, bringing you a fun and information-packed Atlanta Hawks episode, featuring Sarah Spencer, Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta journal Constitution. The conversation comes at a particularly opportune time as the revamped, much-improved Hawks are preparing for their first postseason berth in four years. Before Sarah helps us analyze the team, I'd like to address the passing of Sekou Smith. Sekou appeared on the show's penultimate episode, in which he previewed this season's Western Conference. I hadn't even heard that he was hospitalized with the coronavirus, when a week later I was shocked to see his name as a Twitter trending topic. Seku was not only a multi-time on the NBA Beat guest, much more importantly I considered him a friend. We were both Tauruses, sharing a birthday week in mid-May. Virtually whenever I reached out to update him on my own personal projects, he would respond quickly with words of encouragement and inspiration. Years ago, he even recorded our best guest promo to date. This is Sekou Smith of NBA TV, NBA.com, and the Hang Time Podcast. You're doing the right thing if you're listening to On the NBA Beat. Tellingly, he was one of the easiest guests to book each time, even though he was also one of our most influential. For example, he didn't think twice about coming onto the show last December a time when his NBA obligations were especially ramping up. Of course, I had no inkling that that would be the last time we'd talk, but I'll forever be grateful that we got the chance to catch up that final time. In the show notes, I've included a link to my Twitter thread tribute to Seku, so don't forget to check that out. Seku would have cherished seeing his adopted city of Atlanta as the league's All-Star Weekend host city, and all the HBCU love at the events, although he was beautifully celebrated in his absence. He was an HBCU alumnus himself, Jackson State, so Warner Media fittingly set up the Sekou Smith Memorial Internship, reserved for one HBCU grad each year. That's a real part of his legacy, as will be all the various reporters whom he's mentored or helped along the way, making their own mark on the industry for years and decades to come. He has three amazing kids as well. Beautiful wife. So much family that was obvious he he loved so much, just from a look at some of his social media posts. Of course, I'd be remiss not to mention the countless NBA consumers who will never forget his spectacular multi-platform content or his infectious laugh. Shifting gears back to guest Sarah Spencer, she did a lot of musical theater growing up and considers her role as Julia in The Wedding Singer as one of her favorites looking back. Sarah also once shared an elevator with Kevin Costner and, not noticing his penthouse key, embarrassingly asked which floor button he wanted her to press. Before we begin, one final note. The discussion was recorded Monday, before Atlanta's loss to the Pistons, Another game without Trey Young. In the contest, Chris Dunn made his season debut, and Kevin Herter injured his shoulder, although there's hope that the injury will not be a long-term one. Without further ado, here's my interview with the excellent Sarah Spencer. Welcome to the show, Sarah. It's really good to have you on.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: My pleasure. So much information, as we were talking about before the show, so let's just dig into it. As of recording time early on Monday, the Hawks are tied for fourth in the Eastern Conference with the red-hot Knicks who just don't seem to ever lose. Barring something unexpected, the Hawks should be able to avoid any play-in games, and that would ensure that they end their three-year playoff drought. I'm guessing the number one priority is to avoid any play-in games, and that the second is to finish in the top five, So they can avoid a first-round matchup with those three really scary teams at the top, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. But then again, like I said, the Knicks never really lose anymore. Um, There's (laughs) the Miami Heat, who are fresh off an NBA Finals appearance and really deep and experienced Boston Celtics. God, the Wizards aren't losing anymore either. Lamella Ball is going to be coming back soon for Charlotte. So um, what's the Hawks' remaining schedule looking like as they're trying to best position themselves here for a playoff spot? And which potential first-round opponents do you think they match up best and worst against?
2: You know, it's really interesting. The Hawks have been without Trey Young for two games. They lost him um, in that loss to the Knicks um, last Wednesday. And without Trey and actually for one game without Clint Capella as well. And those guys are kind of the two bookends that the Hawks really need. Um, Yet without those two guys, they've pulled off the two probably biggest wins of the season um, against the heat Friday and then against the Bucks Sunday when they just completely exploded in the fourth quarter, kind of against against all odds. That was a game that a lot of people really didn't think that they would be able to win because they've Mm -hmm. been, shorthanded all season Um, so I start with that just to say that this team we still haven't seen this Hawks team at full strength you know and only a only a few games to to go Uh, we're kind of in the final stretch of the regular season so it's interesting to think about exactly where they're going to end up because um, yes coming into this season 20 and 47 last year coming into the season the Hawks definitely wanted to kind of get into the get into the playoffs or get into the expanded playoff picture. But then the way they've been performing under interim coach Nate McMillan, kind of the, the goalpost moved a little bit. And now you're looking at the goal of stay in where they're tied with the Knicks, um, maybe gain a little bit of ground there because the Knicks obviously have uh, swept the Hawks in the regular season. So yeah, I, I think the Hawks are going to try to stay in that four or five range because like you said, that kind of gives them the best shot um, in the, you know, to, to maybe be able to get a, get an opponent that they can you know potentially win in, in a playoff series. Um, not to say they couldn't with other teams. It's just hard to say how they'll match up with them because you know, the Hawks have been able to, to scrap and play really well in the regular season, even when they have been so shorthanded. Mm-hmm. Hunter has been out long term. Chris Dunn at this point has yet to make his debut. Cam Reddish has been out long term um bogey was out long term though now he's back and obviously uh kind of going crazy um gallo's missed a lot of time like i said trey and clint have missed some time john collins has missed a lot of time it just seems like everyone has missed a lot of time yet here they stand in a pretty darn good position
1: uh
2: you know given everything um but they're they're finding a way to do more with less um just given that the bodies that they're missing so yeah, I think that if they can stay in that four or five range, um, I think that's probably ideal um, because then you would be able to kind of avoid the heavy hitters of, of Brooklyn, Philly, Milwaukee. Um, although again, it's just hard to, it's hard to say exactly what this team will look like at full strength because even the first game of the season, they weren't at full strength because they have a few guys, you know, Chris Dunn has, has yet to play and he was kind of their premier defensive signing um, this offseason. They really needed to get better defensively. So it's just it's just been interesting to see how much this team has really surged under McMillan and and been able to do so well despite missing so many guys because they haven't gotten healthier. If anything, they've gotten if anything they've gotten more banged up, yet they're doing so well.
1: Yeah. And of their remaining eleven games, seven of them are at home. So I would think they're pretty well positioned to stay in that four to five range if they continue playing how they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kept alluding to being shorthanded and I'm fascinated by this. They've been hammered by injuries all season, seemingly to a much greater extent than most NBA teams who are already dealing with the special COVID-19 protocol. During this bizarre season, how have the Hawks managed to adjust And persevere despite all those injuries and also if you can touch upon so of course that could be a benefit in terms of um, all the different lineup experimentation they've done out of necessity guys who who may not be used to being in the limelight um, may be more comfortable stepping up when needed in the playoffs but also sometimes it's difficult when you're still developing that chemistry and you haven't yet had a chance to be um, fully on court together when the games matter most. So also if you can talk about that balance too.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting balance. And I've actually, um, Nate McMillan has talked about this a decent bit and so have the guys as well. Cause on one hand, you obviously want your best guys to be available and you want your best guys to be able to play um, and it also can hurt you when you're playing so many different lineups, and these guys don't necessarily—they're um, not used to playing with each other. So it's kind of like every time you're out there, you're kind of figuring out a new, new chemistry, a new rhythm with different guys. You know, okay, where does this guy like the ball? What what is this guy's tendency? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can this guy do this? Where's his best spots? Those those kind of things. So on one hand, it it could be a little bit of a disadvantage, but in the second half it looks like they know each other well enough. And you have to keep in mind, this was a very new team with like nine new guys on the roster coming into this year. Um, Mm -hmm. Half, it seems like they've built up enough chemistry to where the, the biggest thing is now, you know, can it potentially be an advantage because you get to the playoffs and you have certain guys who they're not, you know, if a guy gets hurt or just, you know, the depth that you could have there, even though obviously, Sometimes the the bench tends to get a little shorter, you know, in the playoffs. Still, you have those options of guys who who have experience with these different lineups and and can be rolled out if you need them. Um, so I think in some ways it can be a good thing. Although I'm sure the Hawks would, you know, would want uh, would want more stability than than less. Um, but I think now they're in a position where if they can just get a certain Few guys back, if they could just get a few more bodies back, then they're going to be able to do some things that they haven't been able to do all year, just as far as depth and as far as like having a few different guys out there who can create, who can defend. Um, And you might be able to get kind of a better or, or maybe a more kind of whole mix of guys out there, you know, obviously kind of at the right time.
1: Right. And throughout the season, the offense has been so good and it's getting even more efficient under Nate McMillan. Um, They're barely better than the bottom third of teams when it comes to the defensive side, though. Still, that represents a dramatic improvement over recent years. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know DeAndre Hunter was pretty good defensively, but he hasn't played that much. Chris Dunn hasn't played this year. But how much of that improvement do you attribute to Clint Capella's impact on that end?
2: I mean, a ton of it. A ton. Clint has over exceeded, he has blown away expectations um, for this season. And that's not to say that expectations were low at all. Um, you know, I think the Hawks spent most of last season kind of searching for answers at center, and that really hurt them. Um, you know, whether it was needing a rim protector, just kind of needing that experienced kind of backline defender. Um, and they got exactly what they needed and just kind of exactly the right fit with Clint. Um, and what's more, I think it was kind of a little bit of a question of how Clint and John Collins would play together just because they do have a lot of similarities and some overlap there. But at the same time, John is someone who is, is a pretty successful three point shooter. Um, so he can kind of stretch things out a little bit too. So what's turned out. Um, to happen is that John and Clint are different enough, you know, and can, can make that work. And then also defensively, that's when the Hawks are at their best. And what you, what you've seen is there was a period toward the beginning of the season when the Hawks had DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella healthy, um, which was not, a very large period of time um but when they did have those guys healthy they were they they never cracked to my knowledge I don't think they cracked the top 10 uh in defensive rating but they were creeping up there mm-hmm. um, and that's because you had those those three guys working together out there um but you know I think a lot of it starts with Clint and I think from there I think he can kind of I think he can lead the defense in a way that the Hawks haven't had in a while. Um, and I mean, just as an individual, he is just putting up monster performance after monster performance. Um, yeah. They also needed to rebound better. He brings that too. Um, he's scoring at a, at a good level to, um, you know, protecting the rim, just defending in general. It has been, it has been a really good fit and he is a big reason why the Hawks have taken the leap that they have
1: his um his april has been phenomenal god mm-hmm. uh, th- if you look at the numbers there's that one game um against san antonio where capella notoriously a very poor free throw shooter hit 10 <laughs> of 10 from the line and they right. won in overtime and i'm guessing they don't win that game if he misses some free throws if i'm not oversimplifying but he's just right. doing he's doing it all and um like you said on the glass especially offensive rebounding they're uh ranking fourth in offensive rebounding and also capella when he's on the floor the hawks have one of the best defensive ratings in the league and mm-hmm. that rim protection is just it's so different from last year isn't it
2: yeah it's it's very different it really changes their dynamic and even though even though some some of the Hawks numbers right now, um, not that you know you have to live and die by certain, you know, stats and certain you know decimal points, but some of the Hawks numbers right now are not quite where they would be again if like everyone had been you know healthy the whole season. I mean, I guess when is everyone healthy the whole season, right? Um, but yeah,
1: but not to this crazy extent, though.
2: Right, right. But you're starting to see. You're just. You're starting to see improvement in key categories that they desperately needed from last season to this season. They needed to get better when Trey Young went to the bench. Um, Lou has been pretty, Lou Williams has been pretty good for them so far. And they also have a few other guys who can create, they were the worst three point shooting team in the league last year. Um, They added guys like Bogey and guys like Gallinari who have helped that significantly. And then they needed to get better defensively. Um, if you had Chris Dunn as kind of a guy you could go out and just kind of deploy on a matchup, I think that you would see an even bigger leap. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the biggest, the biggest factor for them has been Capella, who has just been he's been a good fit on both sides of the ball, too, because he gives Trey Young kind of another rim running target as well. Um, so he's a good fit on on both ends of of the floor. And I think the Hawks have been not, I, I mean, just Not that they're like, you know, surprised because again, I think they thought it was going to be a good fit, but I don't know if anyone knew how much he was going to just dominate and just be an excellent fit.
1: Yeah. I feel like from a national perspective, Capella may be the most underrated player on this team just because he's he's not that flashy, really. People love the three point shot, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I would think he just does all the, for lack of a better term, little things, even though he's the opposite of that. And that just, just makes such an impact.
2: He does the little things and he also organizes. Um, And that's another thing that the Hawks were really missing last year. They needed someone on defense who could say, okay, here, this is what I'm doing here. This is where you've got to go here. I'm doing this. You clear out, you know, here, like, this is where I'm going to, you know, they, they needed, they needed someone to kind of organize and, and get things kind of moving. Um, I remember having a, t- a, a conversation with Kevin Herter about this. Um, and he, he said, you know, we want Trey to do that on offense. We want Clint to do that on defense. You know, that's what you need. You need guys to be vocal. And this was a pretty quiet team last year. Um, part of that is because they're very young and they're, you know, the core is still very young, but they were exceptionally young last year. So that, that's a little bit of it. Um, but they, uh-huh. they, needed, they needed guys to speak up and just kind of get things organized and I think Clint has been a big part of, of doing that um, defensively.
1: Because you touched on the fit with Collins and Capella both on the court at times, I'd love to get your thoughts on where Collins and the Hawks stand as he prepares to enter restricted free agency this coming offseason. What would it take for the Hawks not to match? He's so young and so good, but obviously there could be teams that throw a ton of money at him
2: there could I mean I think you have to wait and see um you know because you never know exactly what someone's going to throw at him um so I I think you have to wait and see um you know at the trade deadline Hawks GM Travis Schlenk said they never had serious conversations about trading John um which the word serious there obviously carries a lot of weight you know because of course of course they got you know inquiries because he's a a, so many teams could use a player like John Collins. you know, uh, a very, a very energetic, um, energetic young player, great offensive player who's kind of continues to develop defensively. Um, you know, he still needs to improve on that side, but he does continue to develop and kind of gets a little bit better every year, just as far as his level of activity and that kind of thing. Um, so. I mean, I mean, I think, and Schlink has said that John doesn't necessarily have anything to, you know, to prove at this point, um, you know, for the Hawks. Uh, you know, given, I mean, he's the longest tenured Hawk. You know, he was here before Trey Young, before Kevin Herder. Um, you know, so he's he's been here. He's kind of one of the the first kind of cornerstones of of the rebuild. Um, so I think it's just gonna. I, I think we'll just have to wait and see. But I mean, I think the Hawks are not just going to you know you, you know you don't want to let a guy like that walk for nothing you know um yeah
1: definitely they'll
2: just have to they'll just have to kind of weigh what kind of offers they they get um but i mean it's it, john is obviously incredibly valuable to this hawks team and and they know that
1: we have to transition to the uh, primary franchise cornerstone in Trey Young he's just 22 years old and his third season in the nba Of course, he made the all-star team last season, didn't quite make the cut this time around, but another stellar season from him. And he's appeared to make adjustments to his game now that the front office added those veteran shooters around him to pair with all that existing young talent. What have you seen from him in year three? And if you can provide an update too on how his ankle is doing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, he sprained his ankle, I think it was last Wednesday, um, against the Knicks. It looked pretty bad at first and he was clearly in a lot of pain. Um, but he, it was a grade two lateral, uh, left ankle sprain. So it's moderate. Um, so it's not, it's not nothing, but it's not as bad as it could have been. Um, it certainly could have been much worse and kind of looked much worse. Um, so typically I think that would be about two to four weeks is what I've been told, but sometimes he he was wearing ankle braces. Um, you know, he's a, he's a lighter guy, um, which could help. I'm not a doctor, but it seems like that could help. (laughs) Um, and so he might be able to come back a little sooner than maybe people thought, whether it's, you know, closer to two weeks or a week, or I'm not sure. Um, but it does look like it's a little bit. Uh, you know, they avoided a what could have been a real, bad, a real bad situation for both Trey and the Hawks as they're, you know, they've uh, worked so hard to be in such a good position. You'd hate for hate for something like that to happen at this point. Um, but, yeah, no, overall, his game, the thing with Trey this season, so his his scoring numbers are a little bit down. But the thing is, you know, and not dramatically, I think he went from about 30 last season, to about 25 this season um, so far. But the thing is, like, they don't necessarily need him to go out there and score forty every night. You know what they need for him? They obviously need him to score, but they also need him to be the you know the passer that he is and and set up other guys. And so that's why they went out and got shooters who can deliver. You know, like guys like Bogey who's shooting fifty percent from three in in April. Um, Guys like Gallo who you know are kind of have been banged up here and there but have still definitely brought some some shooting, some scoring pop off the bench, um, which is another thing this team needed. Um, so I think with Trey, I think that that has kind of opened his game up a little bit this year. It's not necessarily that he's doing anything dramatically differently. It's just that he has more options around him. And, you know, that was kind of the, the thing about the Hawks the last two seasons is that, um, you know, they had a good young core, but the roster around them wasn't, you know, wasn't built to win. They were, they were rebuilding, you know? And so, you know, then you saw them go out and spend some money in the offseason to, to bring in more depth, um, to bring in, to fill some of the holes that they, that were just kind of glaring last season. So that's what they've done. And I think it's kind of opened things up for Trey a little bit because he has so many more options, um, around him, including, including Clint. You know, now he has another another guy to, to work with there, um, you know, in addition to, to John. Um, so I think it's kind of opened up what he's been able to do. And I should also note in the first half of the season, the Hawks were really pretty dreadful in the fourth quarter. Um, that's how they lost a lot of games in the second half in the fourth quarter. It's pretty much been the exact opposite, um, which has been crazy. How dramatic that turnaround has been, and I think Trey's been a part of that. He's had a few games where he's really come alive and been really steady in the fourth quarter. Um, and you know that's what you want to that's what you want to see out of out of a guy like that.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating and and good that you noted that. Especially for a pretty young team, you want to be trending in that direction as the playoffs are approaching. I, I just want to cite two quick stats um, for Trey Young that support what you were saying. His usage rate has gone from fourth in the league last year to eighth this year. So you can see that he has that support and he's not trying to do so much anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also three-point attempts out of his total field goal attempts account now for about 36%. Whereas last season it was closer to 46%. So he's taking Mm -hmm. fewer threes now that there are those guys who are very, very skilled at doing that too.
2: Yeah, I think last year I think he was at he was taking almost 10 threes a game and I think now it's gone down to six or so. Um
1: seems but- more manageable even though he can hit them he's he's only like a 36% three point shooter so I think that's mm-hmm. better for for him in the Yeah,
2: team. yeah, and like e- even the ones like it's not like he's not, you know, doing it at all anymore. It's just that he doesn't quite have to do as much you know and that's what you want like he he can run things at such a high level and not have to score every single not well not every single point you know that wasn't the case last season but he doesn't have to score they don't have to rely on him as much as they did last season and that opens him up to kind of set up everyone else and kind of get everyone involved
1: oh yeah definitely that's a lot of pressure on a 21 22 year old player
2: Mm -hmm. and it's also you know defenses can kind of you know, adjust accordingly. And it makes it so much harder when there's so many guys all over the court who you have to really hone in on.
1: Mm -hmm. The coaching change is an important thing to talk about. After all those notable offseason additions, the Hawks got off to a really disappointing 14 and 20 start. And that's when Lloyd Pierce was fired on March 1st. Mm -hmm. He was perceived, I thought, uh, by many around the league as a head coach on the rise and seemed to be really well liked. Um, he'll be coaching under Greg Popovich in the Tokyo Olympics this summer. Mm-hmm. From your reporting and overall understanding of the situation, how much of that move had to do with his relationship with Trey Young as opposed to other issues around the team?
2: It's hard to exactly quantify you know it like exactly what the proportion is there and and everything that was going on behind the scenes um i mean honestly i think the kind of the long and short of it is that so so last march um like last you know last march like a year ago um (laughs) before the Mm -hmm. shutdown and everything um The Hawks were really struggling. And I remember being kind of taken aback when Lloyd Pierce said, um, you know, next year, the next, basically, he said, the next step for us is the playoffs. And I remember kind of raising my eyebrows at the time, just like, whoa, that's a like playoff declaration. You know, the team's kind of struggling. Um, And, you know, I think that kind of set expectations right there, you know, that set expectations very high. and. You know uh, I mean, people might have had those anyway, you know, I mean, you never know what other conversations were going on, but I think that kinda right there you know that that sets expectations that sets a little bit of pressure, and fourteen and twenty, especially given who they added it it's it's a tough shake because they weren't healthy, but again, they've been almost less healthy recently yet are winning at, you know, winning at a high level. Um, so I think e- even though they were banged up, I think starting out 14 and 20, it just wasn't quite gonna cut it compared to where they wanted to be. It was not, they, they wanted to take a leap this season and 14 and 20 was not a leap. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think that was disappointing. It was a, enough for them to make a move. Um, I will say some players have kind of talked about how uh, X's and O's wise um, Nate is like running more plays and trying to really personalize the offense for guys like Bogey, guys like Kevin Herder. Um, so I do think from that perspective, Nate is kind of bringing some a new persp- or bringing a new perspective, bringing a new dynamic to a team that kind of needed. It just wasn't adding up, you know, um, to what they wanted. So they they made a change. They made some comments at the time about how Lloyd kind of took the fall for a few things that were going wrong. Um, but, you know, you look at what Nate has done and it's really been a remarkable turnaround what they've been able to do.
1: Yeah, 20 and 7 since he took over the fourth mm-hmm. most efficient offense in the league. Other than the X's and O's, is there anything else you can pinpoint? Just maybe, just even just like a different hearing a different voice shaking things up. What do you see uh, impacting that positive change?
2: Yeah, um, the guys have said a few times and referenced a few times that he's a little old school. Bogey's a big fan of Nate's apparently, like incredibly intense motivational speeches. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe those are maybe those are working too. You know, Bogey even. Talked about how Nate is, you know, good at kind of calling plays down the stretch and, and calling timeouts down the stretch kind of at the, the time when they need them. Um, I, I think that the biggest thing with Nate has been that I, I think it was just a good fit with the, the experience that Nate had as a head coach. Um, you know, he has so much uh, head coaching experience over the years. This was Lloyd's first head coaching gig. Um, And it was a tough one. You know, you you take over a team that's rebuilding, that's very young, um, that's banged up. But I think Nate's experience has kind of helped as well, especially in the fourth quarter when things get dicey. It just seems like he's managing things really well. And, you know, the Hawks are responding and you can kind of see the results of that.
1: You've alluded to Bogey Bogdan Bogdanovich throughout the interview, and for good reason. He's really rounding into form in April. You said shooting 50% from three in mm-hmm. the month. But Gallinari is also playing his best of the season mm-hmm. lately. Um, and those were the two biggest, most flashy free agent additions, both extremely skilled three-point shooters, veterans what will be needed from each of them in order for the Hawks to achieve a really deep playoff run this year?
2: I mean, I think a little bit of a a little bit of different things from each one of them Um, for bogey. I mean, you know, you can't expect him to keep shooting, you know, 50% for the rest of his life, Um, but continuing to to shoot well and bring that scoring pop. But I think the thing that's, that's good about bogey and the thing that Nate is really, um, kind of allowing him to, to do is, is to be himself, which is not just a shooter, you know, like he's a good ball handler. Um, he's a good passer. So, you know, not just kind of spot up shooting, but doing a couple, doing a lot of different things, um, and kind of assuming a lot of responsibility, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. That has been. I think he's responded well to that. You know, starting kind of having having a lot on his shoulders um, seems to be working well for Bogey, who was out for about two months with kind of a weird knee fracture, and took a little while to get back from that, understandably. But it's been playing really well since then. So I think just continuing to you know empower him to do what he can do in a couple different ways, um, and just any kind of consistency he can bring them they need. Um, and that's the kind of thing you're going to need, even if you're healthy, you know, if you want to buckle down and win a playoff series. Um, and then I think with Gallo, it's just continuing to, to bring some scoring pop off the bench and continuing to get to the free throw line the way he, he has been doing, um, which kind of slows the game down a little bit for, you know, for the Hawks. Um, Trey is someone who can get to the line at a, at a high rate, but Gallo doing that off the bench helps as well. -hmm. Gallo also has like playoff experience, which is something that you know these young Hawks core players can't say because they haven't you know been to the postseason yet. So I think bringing a little bit of playoff experience is good for Gallo as well, which that's something that Clint brings too, Um, and I think that can kind of help a young team um, whenever they whenever they get there.
1: And it's been refreshing to see Gallinari really embrace his role off the bench. He's just started four games all year after being pretty much just a starter in recent NBA seasons for a while now.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's responded to it fine. I don't think it's something that he really took. He didn't seem to take issue with it at all, you know? And I think he, he knew that he was going to be coming off the bench. Um, He he said that he knew he was going to be coming off the bench. or I think had had a conversation with Slank about it uh, before coming to Atlanta Um, So clearly he was fine with that role. And since he's been healthy, he's been doing well with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Changing gears completely to a topic that's really important and, and dear to my heart and not specifically on the Atlanta Hawks. Personally, I was devastated to hear of Sekou Smith's untimely passing, as was much of the rest of the NBA community, as we saw the tributes pour in. He was widely revered for not only his incredible talent and likability, but just how generous he was with his time, especially to young, up and coming reporters or just anyone really who reached out to him and, and asked for help. He was also, of course, and this is why I'm talking to you about it, a self proclaimed adopted ATLian. <laughs> um, what was your personal experience with Seiku and how should he be remembered?
2: Seiku um, was wonderful. Um, I did not know him as well as a lot of other people in the industry did. Um, I was kind of just now getting to know him. Um, I've been back in Atlanta. I'm born and raised, um, about an hour South, but I, uh, I went to UGA and then moved out of state uh, for a few years and have been back about a year and a half, two years. So I was just starting to get to, to know him. Um, we had been matched up through, um, a mentorship program that some NBA writers had had set up, and um, so I, w- I was just starting to get to know him. But he, it was, it was, it was so awesome. I remember um, when we got matched up. Like I was kind of writing out an email, like preparing, you know, what am I going to say to him? Like reaching out, you know, and um, you know, you don't want to like bug someone. So I was like, okay, how do I word this? And I remember before that even before I could even send the email um, he had reached out to me and been like, Hey Sarah, like, here's my number. Let me know as soon as we can set something up. Like I'm excited to chat with you, that kind of thing. And I just remember being blown away that this guy was taking time out of his day to, to do something like that. And like, he didn't have to do that, you know, like the yeah. it was kind of on me to reach out, but that's not how he saw it. He just saw it as, he, he didn't see it like that. He just saw it as he was just someone who was so, um, so happy to to help and so just earnest. And so um, my impression of him is that he was just an awesome guy who was always willing to give advice and and talk through things. So I definitely don't know him as well as people who were, you know, in the industry and worked alongside him for years and years. Um, Sekou actually used to work for the AJC. Um, yeah. so. I, like my editor and a lot of my coworkers knew him very well um, and, you know, are obviously still, you know, feeling his absence. Um, so I think everyone down here remembers Seku in just an unbelievably positive light.
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult loss. And I really appreciate you sharing those experiences. It's not surprising at all from my experience with him, which I'll share um, in another part of the show. He derives so much joy from helping other people. And it really was never about what was in it for him other than just it felt good to help. He just wanted to. And and he felt he told me this once. And I think it was a direct message or email that he felt like it was his duty to um, pay it forward because people did that for him. So it was just it was only natural that he do the same.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just. He was just an awesome guy. And I know he's like so missed by, you know, obviously his family and friends and so many people in the industry as well.
1: I really appreciate your time. It's a great time to talk about the Atlanta Hawks just closing out because we had so much to discuss. We really didn't get a chance to talk about Lou Williams' homecoming. Hopefully he's a a future Hall of Famer, even though it might be a tough sell. He's one of the best six men ever, maybe the best. Um, Exciting to have him back in town. If you want to touch on that and close on anything else you think would be noteworthy for uh, that NBA fan to know about this team, go right ahead. Yeah,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you said about Lou... um, so so true that he has been a big boost to this team in kind of the way they needed it um you know they they had rondo who was struggling to get healthy and just kind of didn't end up being the the best fit um on the team and when they got lou you know they needed some scoring pop off the bench and He's not necessarily going to be a high scorer for you every night, but I think he's been a good fit because he's kind of bringing some clutch scoring at the right time. Just kind of like that experienced veteran who's not going to be phased if he's not having, not having the best game. Um, Last, last night against Milwaukee, um, he scored all 15 of his points in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So obviously it was a, it was a slow start for Lou, um, but he's, one of the biggest reasons why they won that game um, yeah. I, think, I think that's been big for them i mean he can run you know some pick and roll as well um but yeah no i think he's been a big help to this team in that sense and i think uh, you know again another guy with some playoff experience who can who can help you once this team gets to that point um but no i mean i i think overall i think that um you know, I try to stay pretty neutral, try to stay pretty objective, but I mean, this has been a fun team to watch, you know, you
1: can um, admit that it's okay.
2: You, like you can't, I, I'm not going to deny <laughs> I'm So neutral that I can't admit. This has been a fun team to watch, um, particularly in the second half. And I think, I, I think they try not to, you know, publicly um, feed into this too much, but I mean, obviously nationally the Hawks don't get too much attention. Um, they haven't been very good over the last several years. They've been rebuilding, and all of a sudden, they've just caught fire. Um, and so, I think it's it's pumping a lot of energy into the franchise, into you know even the the arena with you know limited attendance. Um, it's just been a very different vibe, a very different feeling around the team um, because you know they haven't like a lot of these guys have never won at this level in the NBA you know, as far as guys who are part of the core um, who have been here for a few years, but this is kind of what happens uh, or kind of what you hope happens when you bring in a few talented veterans to mix with your young core and just get kind of the, the right combination of guys at the right time. Even if they're super shorthanded, they've had the right guys get hot at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a really fun second half. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how they finish the regular season. And if they can get a few more bodies healthy, I think this is gonna be a really I think this team is gonna get a huge boost from that as well and and be, you know, potentially even more exciting.
1: Personally I'm definitely excited to continue tuning in to see what they do in the playoffs. But thank you so much for your time and insight. It was a pleasure having you on for the first time.
2: Thank you so much for having me.